0: I'm Gina Spatafore, and I'm sustainably agriculturally curious and a micro-rancher in Northern California. Yeah,
1: uh, Mike, did you make up that term? Mike, did you make up that term micro-rancher? You heard it and you liked it.
0: I think I heard it and I liked it. I, I don't think I'm, uh, I'm that creative, but I have <laughs> seen um, hobby farmers, which I am not, um, and I have seen... Um, various things to describe, you know, truck farmers, small sorts of homesteads, um, and really, uh, there's a there's a, a place in Pasadena, and it's they've actually monetized, as they say, their homestead, uh-huh. which has uh, it's an old Pasadena craftsman, and they're on a quarter of an acre, and they basically produce all their own food, and I was sort of fascinated by this at some point and decided that i really like the idea of gardening and having chickens and making my own cheese and i grew up in uh urban sacramento i, I didn't never had anything to that do that was my with impression
1: because i grew up in suburbia and i felt like you grew up in cities so i'm like how did this happen
0: You know, and my father is a native San Franciscan, so you can imagine how much experience he had with that. And my mother, um, her father grew up on a farm, one of like eight children in a farm in Kansas. But they moved to Southern California when my grandfather was like three or four. And he was an extra uh, a very t- good looking man. This is the, my mother's father and he was an extra in a lot of Hollywood things. And uh, so no, he, he never did that. He, they had a, as I said, he was born on a farm, but he did not live on a farm. And my grandmother used to tell me, my maternal grandmother used to tell me that the the best day of her life after World War II was when they were able to get anything they wanted at the supermarket and she didn't have to have a victory garden. She didn't have to can. She didn't have to have chickens. And that was like the happiest day of her life was that she never had to do any of that stuff. And my, my grandmother died. And when I got my first chicken coop, it was sort of retro looking. It was designed to look like it was made out of old fence boards. So it was repurposed lumber. And it looked like it had been there for a long time, which is what I liked. And my mother said, oh, my God, that looks just like the chicken coop your grandmother couldn't wait to get rid
1: of. <laughs> this is the whole thing comes full circle. Your poor grandmother was forced to do all this stuff in her backyard. Come full circle. You're like, this sounds like fun.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, I, I had a warning, um, Dr. Patty Cooley was a little bit ahead of me on this whole chicken and goat um, thing. And so she had graduated to goats when I was just thinking about getting chickens because I was in a different house and goats were not within the zoning. We could have three hens, no roosters. And I said, uh-huh, and did, did I'm,
1: she get away with all that? I mean, because I feel like if she does live in urban, suburban Florida. Does she get away with it because the zoning laws in Florida are way more stra- or way more loose?
0: Yes. And okay. she, lot of, she has an acre. Okay. So she's got it all worked out. Plus she's just her animals would never be a nuisance to anybody because she's just super detail oriented about their health and cleanliness. Okay. So anyway, I so I was living in a in a more suburban home than I am now. Yes. Um. Although technically I'm actually closer to the California State Capitol building here than I was in my previous suburban home, which is kind of interesting. But so I said. I'm gonna go get chickens. I'm gonna start some chickens, and she says, "Oh, Gina, be careful, because chickens are gateway livestock." <laughs> and that has true. That has been so true. So, so I got the chickens. Okay. And I went on the book tour. You know, I went on a big book tour for Your Dog, the Owner's Manual, with uh, Dr. Marty Becker. Uh huh. And it was a long trip, as, as you may remember, I think six or seven weeks, and a lot of time on the road, in a bus, a lot of he- going from one place to another. I wasn't driving, so I had a lot of time to look out the window. Yes. And I thought, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to shake this up, and I'm going to get a horse, I'm going to get goats, and I'm going to get property. So um, we were coming out of the recession at that time, the last recession, I should say. And housing prices had plummeted. Um, anyway I got a horse and then I got two and they were being boarded and okay. a good friend of mine I saw the chickens at my other house and a good friend of mine who uh, was a home builder and his business had stalled because they weren't building any homes and so he working as a real estate broker and he said Gina you know for what you board those two horses for you can buy horse property now and I'm like really so um, so we did I bought horse property on in West Sacramento, which is, um, as I can see, the state capital from my street, which is just so strange. And I'm in the same county as University of California, Davis, which is also interesting. So I'm in a county with a big ag university, and it's an ag county, but it's right across the river from the capital of California. So I bought this house. I bought it for the property because it was basically uninhabitable and I had to put all the new systems in, but the first thing I put in was really good fencing and really good um, uh, structures for keeping the the animals uh, clean and dry and safe. So before you moved
1: in, did you make the place? You bring the animals there before you did?
0: Well, all I had at that point was horses and a few okay. chickens and one rogue duck, um, Bernadette the weather duck, who you may remember. <laughs> so, so. Um, so yeah, I made this the, made the place okay. appropriate for yeah. safe for the livestock, and and then with whatever money had left over, you know, I fixed the electrical, <laughs> you know, put <like> in <laughs> a new septic tank. So then uh, brought the chickens over and brought the horses over and got goats. There's um, one of my really good friends who lived in Davis at the time had some Nigerian dwarf dairy goats. And the breeder, who turns out to be like a world-renowned uh, breeder of these Nigerian dwarf dairy goats, um, is in the, is two counties over. So I went and I got some goats, and that kind of sealed my fate. I, you know, here I was. It was in an acre and a quarter. Um, I had garden beds. I had chickens. Um, I had goats. I had horses. I had a barn cat. I mean, I was set. It was all good. We're good. Yes. So the first winter that I was here, um, there had been some musings about the drainage on my property. And the first winter I was here, the entire pasture was like under, I don't know, good 10 inches of water. Wow. So in order to feed anybody, um, fortunately the horses could be in the barn and be dry and everybody was able to keep their feet dry. But for me to feed anyone, I had to put on, you know, muck boots, uh, Knee-high muck boots and a stick, get a walking stick and slog through inches of water and boot-sucking mud, and and I fell down a couple times in it because you know boot-sucking mud, that's what it does. So I really immediately realized I had been um, a little over ambitious on the livestock. I had three horses at that time, so and I only had two dry stalls, so that was an issue. The third stall was underwater, so. One of my horses became um a mounted police officer with the city of Sacramento. Oh. so he went there. I sold another horse and then I placed the third one back with the people who had who had given given him to because me. Because
1: the chickens were one thing, the goats are one thing, the barn cat, the duck is one thing. The horses were the mass I mean, that's the mass of feeding, the mass of carrying. That was the biggest trouble on Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, the horses. I came to realize were just going to be too much. Yeah, uh, and especially in eight inches of water all winter yes. long. And it was like um, the first winter I was here, which is almost a decade ago now. Um, it was an extraordinarily wet river, wet, wet, wet winter. Yes. So it was just I, I had made a huge mistake, and I wanted to go back to my nice little suburban three and two with a nice backyard.
1: And, a, and three chickens. So how come you didn't, why didn't you, I mean, obviously you'd spent money to get there and do all that stuff. Why didn't you give up and go back? Inertia, I think. <laughs> you started who, it.
0: <clears throat> I mean, I'm a person that doesn't like to take that big jump but when I do take yeah. that big jump, I take it. Okay. But it takes me a long time to get to that point. So fortunately my inertia was such that I got through that winter And then I made arrangements for the next couple of winters. I brought in like hundreds of cubic chips, cubic yards of wood chips from the tree company would just, you know, bring them over free. And Mm -hmm. I ended up adding drainage. I mean, cheap drainage. It really needed French drains, but I (laughs) am like, yeah, I don't have $50,000 right now. (laughs) Sorry. So I just, I did like, you know, basically, um, Redneck fix, I brought in so many wood chips that it actually raised the level of my pasture, which had sunk over the years, I think. So since then, it's been so then the horses were all in their new new locations. And plus, in the meantime, I um, had realized I wasn't going to be able to ride anymore because of my back issue. And after I had back surgery, I said to the surgeon, how soon before I can ride? And he looks at me and he says, you have a very narrow spinal canal at that place. And if you come off a horse just right, we're not talking more surgery, we're talking wheelchair. And I said, oh, okay, well, so then that was the end of my horse riding career. I've had horses here for friends now and then, but that's kind of it. Um, The goats I have are Labrador retriever size, so they're pretty manageable, and goats are very friendly. They like people, and they're cute. And the cheese is delicious. So, <laughs> so I mean, I started out like I started out like a a micro farm vlogger. You know, I was like, oh look, I have this apron that you can put eggs in, and oh look, I got these cute signs that say, you know, chicken crossing, and all of this stuff. And and then it got kind of down to yeah, you know, not so much with the cute stuff. I'm just going to get into a cycle of what I can manage. Um, and it may not always be pretty, but it'll be safe and it'll be secure for everybody. and that's kind of where I ended up. So now, um, you know I, I tripped over a chicken what two or two months ago and broke my leg and <laughs> at that point. So since I, 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 I broke my arm in the third grade and since then I never broke anything. and since I've moved here, I've broken my finger, my wrist, and my leg. Dog. Horse, chicken. So the only things that haven't broken a bone on me yet are the goats, so their day is coming. But when I broke the leg and was laid up, unfortunately, if you live in any kind of livestock situation, the most important
1: thing you can have is great
0: neighbors. And I do have great
1: neighbors. I want to ask about that because there is always the threat. We have out here um, in Johnson County, Kansas. When the rich people go out and move into the urban areas, and there's uh, not urban, rural, there's rural everywhere. Mm-hmm. They just plant giant McMansions on small plots, on giant, on small plots next to each other. So it looks, uh, it doesn't match the rural aesthetic. Are would, was there ever a point where people who are tired of the urban suburban living in Sacramento move to these areas like you did? And then they build things that the neighbors like make the neighbors grind their teeth and they don't have the right, they don't have the right attitude or they look at them skeptically. Did you have any sort of city slicker coming into our area attitude from the neighbors?
0: Well, not at first. And the reason for that is we were in the middle of a housing recession. Okay. So the people who might've been building those houses, they didn't have equity in the homes that they were in. So everything was kind of frozen. Um, At, I, I guess just a few years before I bought this place, there had been a couple of huge, huge uh, development plans. I mean, the entire you know neighborhoods and and such. And those were those all died uh, okay. for years. So there was a stall. But now, uh, within the last couple of years, we've seen um, that kind of thing. There's a there's a, a, de- a development uh, just within a quarter mile here that's um, ten multi-million dollar McMansions on one-acre parcels behind a gate. Yes. And that's, you know, and so we've got that. <coughs> and and yet we have people on my street who live in a um, shipping container. You know, so it's an interesting mix of a neighborhood. And I guess we really don't notice the McMansion people because they come in and out of their, their McMansions and they don't interact with us.
1: Okay. You came, you came in and were part of, you came in and did you make a point of becoming part of the community or it just came naturally? Where you moved and your neighbors, it was natural to become part of the community. I think a little bit
0: of both. I was very fortunate that my next door neighbor, who at that time was a carriage driver in the tourist section of Sacramento, um, with her big draft horses next door, uh, she Grew up. She's exactly the same age I am, which is 62, okay. and she grew up in that house. So she grew up when this was so rural that she spent her entire summer with their friends on their horses. That's all they did was ride all day and hang out.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: You know, and you know, that's what she did. There was nothing out here when we when I was growing up in in urban Sacramento. She was on a horse, not you know 20 miles away, uh, with nothing, nothing right. here. So, except for farms and hunting land. It's a lot of, um, a lot of pheasant hunting and such. So, so, that happened, and because we became friends, she's just a lovely, gracious person, I sort of um, became a part of the community uh, because she knows everybody. Okay. And so, uh, we also have a trail riding club here because we have a lot of horses down at this end of town. Still, so I got to know a lot of people through the horses, and I also came to know a lot of people through agriculture because some people, of course, have actually done this for real. They do not have, quote, real jobs, they've left, <laughs>
1: right,
0: they yeah. <laughs> they left other jobs to become farmers. Yeah, and I actually know a good half dozen of these people who have left marketing jobs, left jobs at the state house as consultants. Uh, left jobs as elementary school teachers, and are now farmers. They're farmers, and they're full-time real farmers. And that was never going to be a possibility for me, I just because what I am primarily is a writer, (laughs) and that's never going to change. So I think (laughs) my idea of what farming would be, and I had that for a while. I had a gentleman who who had been homeless, was living in a trailer on my property, and he was doing all the things I didn't want to do. You know, he was cleaning up the, you know, the coops and whatnot. But he ended up going, moving to Oregon to be near his grandkids. And I've been the person since. And so there's no one to do the the hard work. And so that's kind of confirmed to me that I'm a writer. (laughs) I'm really a writer. (laughs) And so the chickens have, after I broke my leg to close that loop, those chickens were downsized. Um, you know, I just put a note up, say, hey, you know what? Everybody wants chickens right now because people think, you know, after the the great toilet paper madness, then eggs, nobody could get eggs. So then suddenly everybody wanted chickens. So I'm like, if you want chickens, I'm, I will give you chickens in sets of three because most, at least here, uh, most municipalities will let you have three hens, no roosters. So I'm like, I will send you a, a matched, a mixed set of these beautiful heritage breeds. So you have a You know, a spangle, a a, a speckled Sussex, a Delaware, and a something else. And you can take these lovely little chickens home. They're young, they're laying. And so I reduced my chicken flock down to like eight, and I still need to get get to get find homes for about three or four more because I downsized my chicken coop too. So right now I've kind of got it to. I've got it so I can take care of them and, like, less than – take care of everybody feed and water in, like, less than an hour a day total. And that's, like, everybody because there are fewer animals. You know, I've changed where the feed is stored and such to make everything easier. And, um, and so now I'm really – I really just have – I'm a person who lives on an acre and a quarter – with pets of various rankings. And when I say <laughs> when I when I leave when I leave town if I and I have a house sitter, okay. I would say, Remember my mantra, the dogs are family, the cats are pets, the goats are livestock, and the chicken don't have chickens don't have names. So and make all your decisions accordingly.
1: How do you, uh, so you work tangentially and very closely for many years. So you either, you know, you touched on ag and some of your writing and research work through the years. You've had pets for a very long time. You've been involved in veterinary medicine, that boundary, that hierarchy you set up, does it feel like sort of a practical thing or do you have a deeply held philosophy about why some pets are close and some are not? Where does that, like you, you've got it locked in. Where does it come from?
0: I, do you think a lot about agriculture? Um, I, I do not, as much as absolutely possible, I do not support um, industrial-scale agriculture. I think it's really bad for the animals who are basically treated like widgets, you know, and they're, they're not given any uh, ability to have natural behaviors and such. Um, I think it's the pollution that comes from from these, um, you know, the 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 lagoon, the lagoons of poo, you know, from pig farms and dairy farms. These are all very bad. Uh, the the on a, on the crop side, of course, the monocrops and the amount of increasing amount of uh, fertilizers to get any kind of a yield. Yeah, these are all issues. So I I was very interested in it. I read like the works of Joel Salatin who um, maintains a, a cycle of life farm in Virginia and where it used it is as it used to be you you know the cows you switch the fields around so the cows fertilize the fields and you know all of this stuff instead of it all being divided and the cows going to the feedlot and you know and the the ammonia nitrate being added to the fields it's a more of a natural cycle so of course i live in uh, yolo county california and uh, this is also the home of, an, of organic uh, and sustainable agriculture. The Cape Valley is in my county, which is famous. It's where uh, Alice Waters used to do all her shopping for mm-hmm. her restaurants. So there's, um, so it's easy to be immersed in it in my area. Uh, Sacramento, across the river, which is where I was born and raised, styles itself now as the food far- fork, farm to fork capital. So this whole area is very into sustainable ag. Okay. I would like to be a vegetarian. Um, I eat relatively little meat, but I want to know that the that the meat that I do eat that the animals had a fantastic life and one bad day. And that's <laughs> I mean I mean that's actually something they say in the sustainable thing that you want. These animals to, to live natural lives on pasture with yeah. social, um, normal social behaviors within their herd or their flock. And then one day some man pulls up in a truck and they're gone just like that. You know, the mobile butcher comes and they're gone. So that's where I have been getting uh, the, the food that, that I eat is pretty much all local and regional Um and it's fairly easy to do here, as I said, because we are the heart of that movement is is in this started in the same county. So so that's kind of where I'm from is I believe that I don't have a problem with eating meat. I have a problem with industrial agriculture. Okay. And I don't have a problem with animals dying for me to eat because everything dies. I mean, I've opened hay bales with dead desiccated bunnies inside them. So... Even if you're, uh, you know, you're eating nothing but soy, you know, th- when, they, when those harvesters come across those soil, soy, soy fields, right. a lot of these animals are dying. So do not get on your high horse with me about <laughs> how you're a vegan, because in order for you to live, something dies. Yeah. And that's just the facts of where we are. But I don't feel that something has to suffer And I feel that that food animals deserve to have a fairly normal life in terms of not feeling fear, of not feeling need, of feeling their social interactions within their normal herd structure. So that's where we kind of are with that. um, As far as what got me to that point, I have um, chickens in my freezer that I when they got old and stopped laying and also roosters when they're accidental roosters yeah, I I will uh, kill them and dress them out. And they're in the freezer for winter soups. Um, so I have no problem with that because I know that these animals have had a fantastic life. They've had dust baths and sunshine and all of these things. And so people say, well, that makes the meat very expensive. And I'm like, that's why I eat Let's Meat. <laughs> that's why I mean, really, I, I'm going to pay for the product that I believe in. Right And if I can't instead of going to buy a factory farm chicken at the supermarket, I'm going to have a vegetarian dish. I'm gonna have a meatless meal or you know I'll make other adjustments. but um because I want these animals I do feel that I have my own belief, a hierarchy. Um, there's a good That's book.
1: what I'm curious, because it's fascinating, the spectrum. So again, I think people living urban, suburban lives, we have pets that are treated oftentimes like family or treated as very close. They give us joy. We give joy to them. And then all the animals that are produced for our food, we don't see them in any way. They're already packaged and produced for us. But you, you, anyone who has all the way from... Um, production animals and food animals all the way to pets with them all the time, there's this natural spectrum that I think we don't experience. So I'm just, I was just wondering, yeah, what is that, that hierarchy or that spectrum? How does that feel like? Is it because some animals it's just what they're for and then that's different than what the dog is for. And so you just feel differently about them. How does it?
0: I think so. Um, you know, my goats are very pet like, and I have to say I've never Uh, I've never had one butchered. I, they have names. (laughs) I mean, that's my rule. That's why the chickens don't have names. Um, is that, you know, I, I I can't, I can't do that. I can never do that with a lamb I phrased or a baby goat, probably steer none of that stuff. I can't do that. That's my limit personally. I guess my personal limit is if I can't be there, if I can't stomach being there for the end of their lives, then I kind of feel like I don't, deserve the sacrifice that they've made and i have a friend who had a cattle ranch for a while she had dexter cattle which is a smaller cattle breed and the first time she took some of her steers to the local um slaughterhouse she went in with them and because she wanted to know what had what it was like she wanted to be responsible for what had happened to them and that required full knowledge so um so that's kind of where where I am with it. These animals, there are a lot of heritage breeds of animals that we have. My, the goats are heritage breeds here. There are uh, heritage breeds of cattle. The Dexter is one of them. They're heritage breeds of goats. Um, but they will not exist in perpetuity without a, without a reason for us to sustain them. Okay. They won't. They're going to be out of business. I mean – so the reason it's a bit that, like
1: some of the dog breeds, if we all went back to nature, there some dog breeds that simply just wouldn't be around.
0: They wouldn't be around. Yes. It's like so my next door neighbor, you know, has draft horses and was a carriage driver. Everybody used to have horses and carriage drivers and draft horses and no one can afford to keep a draft horse anymore. They I mean, unless you're working them, they are so they eat so much. Yeah. And, of course, the beginning of the dog food industry as, as a commercial industry, as you probably know, came after motorization. And they had to figure out what to do with all these horses. <laughs> and they all <laughs> ended up in cannel ration. That's what cannel ration was for. So, you know, so if we don't find purposes for these animals, yeah. we're not going to have them. Now, there are people who are fine with that. Sure. Um, you know, I know people in who protest like horse racing, and someone said, "Well, if we don't have horse racing, if we don't have horse trail riding, or we don't have any kind of horse interaction, we're not going to have horses." And he says, "Exactly, that's my point." And so that's the extreme animal rights point, is that, or their point? I won't say ex- it's not extreme to them. Sure. Is that is that we shouldn't have domesticated animals? And where I am, and then I have these urban friends who get upset that the fact that when they find out that I've killed my own chicken (laughs) meant the freezer for this winter, well, they're not, they're buying, you know, the, the, they're buying the meat from chickens whose lives were very, very bad. Yes. And they're just sort of ignoring that. And I'm telling you, once you have, uh, slaughtered and butchered out your chicken, you don't you, – you, t- you think about it differently. You do not waste it. You know, it's, it's, it's a real thing to you, and you value that. And I will tell you, frankly, the food tastes better. The eggs taste better when they come right out of the coop. A chicken that you have raised for meat tastes better. Um, the chickens that are industrial, they grow very quickly, and the meat is kind of mealy yeah. as a result. So these heritage breeds are actually have they're really that you can live with them they're they're very pleasant animals to be around you can have a relationship with them that you define and Hal Hersog who is I think retired now but he was a professor I don't know sociology or something he's written a book called you know some some we some we love some we eat some we hate something like that and I, I thought quite a bit about about that because in fact i do consider my my dogs to be uh part of my nuclear family yeah uh they truly are i mean i've grieved worse over the death of a dog than you know some maybe not particularly close relatives but nonetheless relatives yeah so and yet here i am i'm gonna slaughter a chicken so yes so it's it's a everybody sets their their guidelines but i'm comfortable with where I am because I feel like I've looked at all the ugly stuff. I'm not ignoring it and I'm living uh, uh, the values that I have to um, to to what I feel comfortable with. So I never am by the meat aisle in the supermarket because I just I know what that I know what those lives were like and I just can't deal. I can't I can't deal. So I would say, I probably care more about the livestock that I have than a lot of the people who would be horrified to know that I ended the life of a chicken for this for chicken soup this winter. Yeah, because I want them to have good lives and quick deaths. And that's that's it. That's that's what I want. And so that's kind of why I really like being a micro farmer, not a hobby farmer, because I'm not selling anything off of this. I'm not sustainable by any means. I tend to buy from my friends who are farmers, you know. I just got two pounds of shishito peppers dropped off yesterday <laughs> that I'm going to uh, to blister and, and have hey, for
1: lunch. Can I ask, given how much work it was, so you, you made this shift. You built up your, your excitement about it and then lived through it with inertia, this shift to the micro farm. You have not made the shift to sort of – you have made your animals – you have made it so that you can sustain the work necessary to keep them going, but you have not shifted into like and negative doomsday scenarios where how come, how come you're not stockpiling on your micro farm? Have you ever thought about how can I make this actual farm self-sufficient? You sounds like you've never gone that far. And I think lots of people, either they dream about that or they do try to do that. Their vision is, I want all my sewer, my electricity, my food. I want all the all possible by myself. How come? Have that ever been tempting to try that?
0: It probably would have been twenty years ago. Okay. But I'll tell you, um, I, I think about. I, I do think about kind of a, a of an up more of an upscale unibomber cabin, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sometimes, but of course, it have you'd have to have a very fast Wi-Fi connection right. and uh, probably an indoor bathroom. But. um, I, I I take I take um, solace in knowing that I could produce a great deal of what I would eat here if I wanted to. Yes. But I also know that as uh, as an older woman, um, one broken bone and all bets are off. I mean, really, I had people over here feeding my outdoor li- livestock for for. Three weeks when I was in a cast. Yeah. So I'm so I'm aware of the fact that, that I could increase my gardens. I could instead of tomatoes, which I like, I could grow things that are more sustainable, you know, um, winter squash or something. Instead, basically, I just grow what I like to eat instead of what might keep over the winter.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, I do know how to can. I've done it once. It was hot. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not terribly interested in it. But I do know how and I could uh, and a wood. I have a big chest freezer. Um, so I could, but the problem is we kind of do people, I think people tend to overestimate or underestimate, I guess, how connected they are to civil, um, me infrastructure.
1: Too. That's a brilliant way of putting it.
0: You know, it's like I've had to replace the well, um, here and believe me, if you have a well that goes out, you're you're gone. I mean, you have nothing. You are just in a panic situation. You have no water, yeah. and you can't call the city uh, for it. Um, you need to rely on your neighbors. Now, I think farmers traditionally, you know, knew that. That's why they had people working together at harvest time. So you'd harvest, you know, the Jones's place, and then you know the The other people's place, they would go around in the barn raisings. They knew that there are some things that you need community for.
1: Yes.
0: And even with solar, uh, uh, even if you're off the grid on a solar and you're still going to need a propane delivery, you know, for some things, you're still going to need a fire department, (laughs) you know, if your house catches fire. You, people just imagine this little house on the prairie without looking at those sod houses and realizing how incredibly miserable those lives were. <laughs> right. You know? And so to me, I've got kind of a best of both. I could very much, my neighbors and I could, um, we could grow a lot of stuff here and we could switch to food animals for production. And mind you, my, with the exception of my chickens, my, Goats are dairy goats. They're not meat goats. And I, to me, that's an important distinction. I just can't do the baby meat goat thing. <laughs> so, but I mean, I could, if it was a desperate situation. Right. I suppose I could, I, you know, I could, there's YouTube videos on how to do it. You can, there's the thing, as long as I have a fast Wi-Fi connection, I could do it, but I've got kind of a um, farm light thing going on where I get the benefits of the animals um i get which are very deep and i i think i always wondered why people who um were in ffa or 4-h uh how they could raise these animals and then give them and love them and then give them up at the auction knowing
1: what's going to happen for them before your micro farm you all you found yourself wondering how that was even possible
0: right before because how is that possible but now I do understand. You, I, I am a good steward of my animals. I love them. I've bottle-fed them. Um, they don't suffer if they need to be euthanized. I call my vet. You know, uh, All of these things would, would happen. But I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with the life that we have. And mostly it's not really a farm. It's mostly Gina likes to... To sit with goats. <laughs> That's all
1: an excuse to see baby goats hopping around. Is that what this is? I think so. Yeah.
0: And also, you know, acre and a quarter is a great thing when you have dogs. Cause you, if you don't feel like taking them out, you can just go throw the throw a ball for them for a while. And I,
1: I can yeah. only imagine the level of mud that your prop in rainy times that the, that the dogs return home with. Oh
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, in my next life I'm gonna have a mud room. <laughs> but right now I just have a lot of mats and, right. and, 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 and it's fine. And sometimes the dogs do not I have a baby gate across my bedroom door because sometimes they're not going to get on the bed. That's just not gonna happen. I don't feel like giving them a bath. Right. But they're not coming in my bedroom. So that's until they can have a bath. So yeah, there's there's that sort of thing and I had some friends drop by, they were passing through on a family vacation, and I I think they were sort of taken aback by like the fact that we were sitting outside because of, you know, social distancing, but all the flies, you know, we're sitting out amongst the animals, and they're like, wow, there are a lot of flies, it's like, yeah, (laughs) it's it's a farm, it's a micro ranch, but it's still like that, so people have a very uh, stylized idea of what this is like, and I see this when people are love my goat pictures or something on social media, or oh my gosh, you have such a great life. But no, you have to have a great life. 365 days a year, um, there's no day off. There's no day off unless you're trading with your your, with your neighbors. You just there's no day off when you're taking care of that many animals. And so, um, so it's a conscious choice that I like being around them. Um, And I like taking care of them and I like watching them be what they are meant to be, you know, covered in dust for the chickens. Um, uh, The goats just having uh, I'm telling you, the junior high has nothing on a herd of goats. (laughs) I mean, they are so they are mean girls. They really are. And they have this intense hierarchy and, you know, three third goats a crowd. And oh, my gosh, it's like. It is just like watching Heathers. It's just like that all the time. These these mean mean goats to each other. But so I mean, so I think I, I don't really I don't really know why I do this. My my mother, who's eighty-seven, has no idea why I've done this. I know my entire urban family thinks I'm crazy. And I think there's a good case for that. I really do. And it may be that at a certain point in five or ten years that I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go get another three and two with a nice backyard, maybe a swimming pool and municipal water. Right. And life is good. So but they're but but not, not right
1: now. I wonder if those people, again, the people that never delve into this, maybe they don't they don't know. You don't know what you're missing about your disconnection from nature and your disconnection from your food, your disconnection from farming, your disconnection from dirt and flies. Yes, those are uh, those can be annoyances, but in the same way, when you cut yourself off from those things, you make your maybe you make yourself a little less resilient, a little weaker, a little more, you know, persnickety about your environment. So I think these things where we kind of push ourselves to be a little more, to push a little harder, to be okay with a little less, to be okay with a little more work, I think they're p- probably good things. And if the world doesn't push us into it, I don't know who's going to. It, then it has to be us. We have to go do something.
0: I think so. I think that's absolutely right. Um, I do feel a, a much bigger connection to the physical world, which I think, given what I do for a living, which is basically stare at a screen five days a week, right? <laughs> that I think that's really super important to me. That I really do need that. Now, I, I guess it's kind of a, a, an extension of what dogs will bring in. You know, dogs, if you, I, I've often thought if I'm at the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and, and, I do not feel like I'm getting my full enjoyment of that unless I have a dog with me because I'm having my, the experience of my senses, but also my dog's senses through the joy that they're having of the smells that they're getting, which I can't even begin to fathom. So I think in, in some way, this is an extension of that in that it really is very grounding. Um, and I, I do know people, of course, who have horses or dogs or whatever who 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 do a lot of competitions, whether it's a dog sport, um, whether they're showing their dairy goats or or whatever. I have none of that. I don't expect anything of my animals. Um, the outside the the livestock animals, the dogs I actually in a sense have some decent manners. But the outside animals, I expect nothing of them but to be who they are and to enjoy being around them and their incredibly different perspective on the universe that we're sharing and that's where i take the joy of it i think is i get to experience a bit more of being in a in another creature's space
1: without having wild animals can in some ways be dangerous and you've kind of maybe you get the best of both worlds there's wildness in these domesticated animals that are around so they're safe to be around but also you let them basically be a, be wild they can do what they would normally do yes i do well this was gina and uh she is an awesome micro farmer thank